Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. You may have inadvertently heard Kieran say Thunderbirds there, just as we started. I'm not even going to bother to explain what the circumstances of that. I will explain that um, our lovely Polish neighbours across the road are into their fourth year of building work on the house and they've just decided... Uh, they seem to have an instinct for when the pod starts to get the drill out. So if you can hear that in the background, uh, I do apologise. There's not a lot I can do about that, really. So I'll keep muting the mic every now and again so you can listen to lovely Kieran. Kieran, how are you? Uh, I'm I'm good. I'm coming to terms with uh, the, the fourth night of being top of the Premier League. Um, <laughs> I, there, won't, there won't be many more, so <laughs> I'm enjoying it whilst I can. Um Still, uh, still recovering from Chelsea's defeat on Sunday, where uh, Moises Caicedo marked his <laughs> debut by, by by giving. And, and the trouble is, you, you don't want to come across as being slightly smug about it because they're, they're you know, Bright, Brighton fan, yeah, Brighton's Schadenfreude uh, will otherwise be uh, becoming a, talked about too often. Although. Todd Bowley will probably try to sign Schadenfreude from Brighton for fifty million as soon as he hears that it's the latest thing associated with the club. Uh, I, I have to say, Moises Caicedo, uh, and let's make this financial, Kieran, because it's a, the price of football. He didn't look like a hundred and fifty million quid's worth of player when he came on, and also, as many Chelsea fans said, why do you bring a defensive midfielder on when you're already two one down? Uh, yes. Uh, yes, I would. I, I would, Kieran, complain about the fact that we're not. Uh, in the European places, like you, um, because of VAR's inexplicable top six bias. But I, I wasn't at the Palace game on uh, Monday night due to the fact that six weeks ago, uh, Ali said, wouldn't it be lovely if we had a night of the cricket like the old days? And I got my mate to sort out some tickets for the 100 at the Oval. And it was only at the end of him sorting out the tickets, he said, you do know the Palace game's been moved to Monday night, don't you? So... <gasps> I had well, no. I had a, I had a lovely. It's an indication of how much I love Ali that I only it thought is. about it. I, 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 less than fifteen seconds it took me to make the decision, Kieran. <laughs> uh, and we had a lovely romantic evening at the uh, at the cricket, um, which was only slightly spoilt by her saying, "Put the phone down, stop checking the score, and con- <laughs> concentrate on getting me a pint." And she had uh, two and a half pints of cider, which is a half a pint of cider too much which was fantastic. Uh, and she complained about the uh, colour schemes of the oval scoreboard. So it was lovely. We had a lovely time. Um, so we're both happy. It's news day, Kieran. We have a lot of news to get through, which, so perhaps we shouldn't have spent the first two minutes and 55 seconds uh, waffling. Um, probably the biggest story of the week, Kieran, uh, is Manchester United taking too long to make what I think is the right decision. Um, and we we certainly haven't got time to debate the morality or the legal employment law side of this, but let's talk about the financial situation of Mason Greenwood. Will they have paid him any money? Um, will his will there be a, a transfer value fall? Will he get another club? Just talk about basically briefly the financial side of that story. Yeah, I absolutely agree. There's there's a far broader issue with yeah. regards to. Misogyny in football, domestic violence, all, all of which yeah. are, are are being covered elsewhere. So we are going to look at through purely through a financial lens. Um, it doesn't mean that we have strong views on the issue. 
I was on LBC uh, with Ian Dale last week, and I think I made my views fairly clear then that uh, I didn't think it would be appropriate if he stayed at the club and, and gave the reasons why. But this is this is a financial issue in terms of why did it take Manchester United seven months to reach the conclusion of an internal investigation? The reason for that is that Mason Greenwood is valuable inventory. And I'm putting that in purely business financial terms. If he had been a third choice left back in the academy, another decision, the same decision I suspect would have been made and it would have been made immediately. But we have a football player whose market value in in 2023, I think we have to be realistic, is £100 million plus. He's young, he's English, he's a striker. Those, So therefore, from the perspective of the decision makers, they want to protect the value of their investment. As, has that valuation been impaired by his alleged actions? I think it has been. Uh, has the value of the club been impaired? I suspect that was the main focus of the internal investigation. Now, if we take a look at that internal investigation, it was undertaken by people at the club. It did not involve discussions with the alleged other party to to the event. So it was uh, information which had come from a relatively small source. And then again, it makes you wonder, why did it take seven months to, to make a decision? And I think we we then have to bring into play the, the work of Adam Crafton of The Athletic. We've had Adam on the show. Adam is a, is a fantastic journalist. He is thorough. He is professional. He's dedicated to his job. Um, he's a very serious, earnest young man. I, I'm in contact with Adam on, you know, on, on other issues because I've, I've been interviewed by The Athletic and he, he's asked me questions and bits and pieces. So I, I've got a huge amount of professional admiration for him. It was he who broke the the story last week or was about to break the story last week that Manchester United's original intention was to bring Mason Greenwood back into the first team squad. And then we have to look at things from a, a management and business point of view. And, and this is where I think things from a business point of view starts to look very corporate in the worst of corporate ways. Manchester United, by all accounts, had undertaken research in terms of what they thought the response to that decision would be. I think it's also fair to say that there had been soft leaks already in the press along the lines of the coach is not averse to having Mason Greenwood back. No reference to how the players would feel. Certainly no reference to how other members of staff would feel. Um, Manchester United board accounts had effectively created a list of how they felt that journalists, pundits, media people would react. And they put those into three categories, positive, neutral and negative, and how they were going to respond. They'd, they'd already been planning the, the nature of the photographs of him returning to training. So this had been a, a very carefully coordinated approach. And then Adam Crafton got hold of the story. He gave Manchester United the right of reply, as, as is 
best best journalist practice. And the club then decided to go themselves. They they released a press release, three forty five on a Wednesday afternoon. So here we've got the club wanted to try to take control of the story, um, with with still the view at that time of bringing the player back. The reaction to that fairly agnostic press release, i.e. the club's been investigating, we've not yet made a final decision, appeared to be, first of all, at odds with what had been reported by Adam Crafton. Um, and the reaction was very hostile. So former players, uh, people who are high-profile Manchester United fans, including Rachel Riley, I think, came into that. But they, they made it clear that they were extremely unhappy with the decision that had been made. My understanding from talking to people in the media was that they'd already sort of planned a video from Richard Arnold. That might have even, they might have even had a couple of test runs, but it just looked so insincere and it looked so corporate that that plan was abandoned. Over the course of the weekend, there was nothing new coming out of the club. The weight of opinion was that bringing him back was not a good idea. And therefore, we had the the second press release, which was, again, the wording was carefully coordinated. I think there are holes in some of the words that Manchester United had decided, along with Mason Greenwood, that his career is going to take place elsewhere. So going back to your original point, he is still under contract at Manchester United until June 2025. So he's not necessarily been released from his contract. He was originally given a two-week fine, but by all accounts, when the original reporting of the, the issue took place. Since then, he has been on full pay. With regards to where he goes next, there's been no indication that Manchester United are going to effectively terminate his contract and allow him to, to find another job. Um, without them getting some form of financial compensation. Now, if Manchester United want to show that actually they have made an appropriate decision and that they are not going to financially benefit from it, any transfer or loan fee should surely, as a gesture of genuine commitment, be given to appropriate charities. For those for those charities that have to deal with domestic violence against women, and if they do that, I, I think they can come out of this with a bit more respect, a respect which they have lost. Yeah, and when I talk, and here we've we've always had this discussion that we talk about football clubs. Okay, football clubs do not have opinions. Football clubs do not make decisions. It is executives. So what we have to do here is therefore look at it through the lens of the senior executives. At Manchester United, that responsibility ultimately falls with Richard Arnold. How much of the Glazers involved? You know, is he being made to be their fall guy? Because I find it surprising, stroke amazing, if this decision has not been run past Joel Glazer first and foremost. But the Glazers are saying, "Well, yeah, we pay you a lot of money. You're there to take the flak." So, could he be sold for a fee? Yes, he could because he's under contract and therefore transfer of his registration would normally solicit a fee. Could Manchester United get a loan sum um, if they decide that uh, yeah, they want to accelerate uh, his movement away from the club? 
Yes, it could. What's going to happen to those proceeds? I think here that the club, again, has a decision to make. And I think there is a right way of dealing with that and a wrong way of dealing with that. <clears throat> there will be people listening to this, Kieran, um, hopefully in the minority, knowing our, our our listeners and our demographic, who are saying, well, the charges are dropped, uh, move on, nothing to see here. But his, there's a difference between charges being dropped and being found not guilty. His behaviour... As to give him some credit, he acknowledged himself on Monday. His behaviour is a matter of public record, what he did, how he behaved. Um, so quite clearly, there will be something in his contract that talks about meeting the standards of behaviour required by Manchester United Football Club, which he, he hasn't done. There were cynical people on Monday who thought the obvious solution would be to sell him to a Saudi Arabian club because they would have different standards uh, to judge his behaviour by. But I'm really interested to... I've actually crossed out my next question, which is how much will he get for being released? Because I, I, I think, along with a lot of people, Kieran, I assumed by the nature of that press release that they were going to release him. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually quite intrigued and a little disappointed to find out that he still remains on contract with them. They're just not going to, to play him or let him, or let him train. Well, on, on what grounds could they not pay him? Because oh, yes, yeah. you can be sacked for gross misconduct. If you take a look at the Manchester United press release, it does not say that there has been evidence of gross misconduct. And I think, again, the senior executives at the club, their decision-making has to be called into question. This is Manchester United. This is one of the most famous football clubs in the world, and therefore it attracts a different level of scrutiny and a different intensity of scrutiny with regards to the way that the decision makers conduct themselves. Should you therefore have a somebody from HR do the investigation or, or whatever department, it was an internal investigation, why not get somebody with no investment in Manchester United other than that as being somebody that is used to dealing with evidence. Yeah, somebody for, with with a, an appropriate legal background, an independent, yes, they'd have to pay them, but this is Manchester United. You know, Manchester United are used to paying big paying out big numbers. So I think they they didn't think that through particularly well. And then Richard Arnold says, well I I made the ultimate decision um with regards to our perception of his behaviour. And again, he's a chief executive. That's his job to do so. He's not from a legal background. So some of the noises which were coming out, you know, especially we've seen information that is not in the public domain. Well, that probably hasn't helped themselves very well. If he was not a £100 million player, they this, this would not have taken so long. And we would, in fact, we wouldn't, but yeah, this would not be the lead story on the news. And again, you know, it, there, there have been some horrific stories in the news in the past few days. And again, you, you know, we, we, we've been glib in the past about we're not cynical. Well, you know, we are cynical. And the the release, you know, with regards to what's been happening in, in a much broader concern about some horrific events in this country, um, it's it's the, there is this saying: there's a it, it's a good day to release bad news, um, and and you don't want to think of that about what is a famous and 
fantastic. We've given Manchester United a lot of praise for the the way that decisions were made in in respect of the conduct of the club during lockdown and so on. Here, I think they've made the appropriate decision, but um, from a if, if I was if I was assessing management, I wouldn't think I'd have a very positive assessment of them here. Mm. Well, Kieran, you mentioned <clears throat> one of our favourite words, independent. Let's add to, uh, to probably your favourite word of the moment, Kieran, regulator, and say that the Premier League in general, the clubs in it, are against the idea of an independent regulator, and yet. On the quiet, they are proposing things that we think an independent regulator would absolutely do. And the Premier League has proposed a a protocol this week, which I think uh, Tracy Crouch would fully approve of. Yes. um, And again, this this will have come about as a result of the most recent meeting. Uh, So Premier Premier League executives do speak. Um, Those meetings are private, as as you would expect to be for, for any major organisation. Those those meetings also leak messages because <laughs> the, the nature of the relationship between football executives and the media... Kieran, nothing, is, nothing in football is private where sleuth Maguire is involved. Maguire, Maguire finds out. That's all. If anybody in football is listening to this, you, you need to get yourself into a, a, a giant safe if you want to have conversations, because otherwise Maguire will find out. Well, on this case, it was nothing to do with me. Um, you, you've got to give credit. Uh, you know, I, I gave a lot of credit to to Adam Crafton. Uh, Sam Maghini at the Financial Times, He's he does a really good job there as well. And and this is uh, with regard to the, the introduction of, of protocols on how to get rid of an owner, divestment um, divestment protocol, which again sounds like a very good 1980s band who would appear on the John Peel show. Um, you, you could you could see you can see the overcoats, can't you? You can you can see the uh, the shaggy looks and and the the earnest songs coming from from that particular session. Um, it looks as if, and ultimately this this has to be codified and go through the hands of lawyers and so. It looks as if um, they are concerned about what happens. In, in a similar issue to Abramovich, um, but also as, as well as having a a more formalised exit route as far as club owners are concerned, the rules with regards to who can be allowed to acquire a football club, I think those are in the process of being beefed up. Um, the disqualification events are going to be broadened in, in terms of people with a history of a broader range of of criminal events, corruption, fraud, tax evasion. I think they will find it more difficult to become club owners in in the future. I'm I'm not going to talk on behalf of club owners. They've got more than enough uh, capability of doing so themselves. But I understand the reason why the rules had not been beefed up historically because every person that buys a football club will have at the back of their mind, at some point in time, I might be wanting to sell this football club. And the last thing that they want to do is to reduce the pool of potential interested parties who could buy the club for them. So that's why there has perhaps been slower movement than one would have liked with regards to the protection of the game from people with whom 
we might feel uncomfortable as as being the the guardians and the the people who are responsible for for the football clubs that we as individuals have such a, a huge affection for. So I think it's a positive step by the Premier League and, and they should be given some credit for that. Again, the the journalists and one of the things which has come, I think, which we which we both are sad to to admit to as a result of, of doing this podcast, is that we, we have become cynical and jaundiced. We still love the game, but the love of the industry has has diminished. Is this once again a decision which is being dropped into the public domain, in the knowledge that I think it's fair to say next month we could be hearing something with regards to the government's proposals because you know, Parliament will be returning from the summer recess. Uh, the government doesn't appear to have a, a long list of, of proposed legislation um, and and therefore something to do with football governance is likely to be in the debate. It's been, I think it's been well communicated that the, the Premier League has, has resisted um, and is opposed to the idea of an independent regulator. And those reservations should be taken on board by the way it's it's not it's not a uh, it's it's not a, it's not it's not a coin yeah it's not everything's right about it and everything's wrong about it but um you know, would this decision would have been made had it not been for the threat that the premier league is trying to show in a variety of ways look we are the good guys we are perfectly capable of governing ourselves in order to to water down the the proposed legislation This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash priceoffootball. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash priceoffootball, and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash priceoffootball. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. mind at rest here and I haven't become cynical and jaundiced because of doing this podcast with you I was well along the road to cynical and jaundiced I'm a stand-up comedian it's basically my default setting it, I, I almost feel sorry for Premier League clubs in a way though Kieran because you know they, they've 
decided that they're going to come up with a protocol which could um, could actually see them forcing bad owners to sell. I mean, it's difficult to see how they would actually enforce that. But everything they do between now and the advent of an independent regulator will be seen by most people as um, an attempt to not have an independent regulator, in a sense. You, you kind of guess that this is not a decision they would have made two years ago. So it it, it, it does seem it's all part of a, this this plan to say, look, look, no, look at us, we're grown-up, responsible, we don't need a regulator. And I think every decision they made is viewed through that prism now, isn't it? Yes, and again, going back to the Manchester United story, to a certain extent, you're damned whatever you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's... It, it's it's a, it's a very awkward situation, but perhaps it could have been handled a lot better. And uh, I think that's that's sort of you know we're taking sort of a viewpoint here. Um, if in five years or ten years' time, you know, we've had to pack up the show because the Premier League's made a series of fantastic decisions which have impacted upon the business side of football. Absolutely <laughs> fantastic. So you know you made a good decision. Keep doing it. Yeah, if in 10 years' time we've had to pack up the show, Kieran, it's because we'll have been put into a home by our respective partners, essentially. We'll, we'll be singing Sex Pistols songs around the old piano. Um, and it still seems odd, Kieran, this day and age, to see uh, a not worth £115 million player like Moises Casado take to the pitch in a shirt with no sponsor. Um, uh, although I have to say that Chelsea badge, the the gold one looks quite snazzy but it it is odd to see Premier League clubs with no sponsor here and it it doesn't look like the Chelsea shirt front is going to be uh, having a name on it at any time in the very near future does it? Yes and people ask me what what makes a football club overperform or underperform and I look at it through a sort of you know a business lens and to me, the, the success, and this applies, to, I think, to us as where we are as individuals in our lives. And so everything comes down to, to three things. It, it comes down to resources. It comes down to opportunities. And it comes down to the quality of decision-making. And, and you, can look at, look, you can look at your own life in terms of where, why, why am I here today? And, and those three issues have probably been some of the biggest contributors. In the case of Chelsea, I find it surprising stroke astounding that they do not have a front of shirt sponsor this is a football club that in 2021 won the champions league um and a front of shirt deal is worth even i appreciate they're not in europe this year but you would expect it for given the the extent of the chelsea fan base and the success they've had especially in in the abramovich years which has, has led to the expansion of the brand of the club we're talking somewhere in the region of 40 million pounds um, to look at the timeline of events, they were apparently, you know, three decided to drop the sponsorship. They were supposedly to have an agreement with Paramount Plus, the TV channel. That was red carded by the Premier League because the Premier League has a TV deal for the United States with another channel. So that was seen as being competitive. Um, but Chelsea should have known that. So, you know, why did they get so far down the line? Comes down to, you know, opportunities, resources. It comes down to decision making. Cause, cause you to call that into question. Then, supposedly, they were also involved with stake.com. And we've said, you know, we're not, we're not the biggest fans of crypto, but I've always said, I've, 
it, it's it's got it's actually potentially got a really good place. It's just not an investment. Stake.com, an online crypto casino based in the Netherlands Antilles. That's that's not great. And I think there was pressure from Chelsea fan groups. We, we don't particularly want to. So again, part of me says, well, fair play to the club for listening to the fans. The other part of me says, how again did you get this far down the road? They're now being associated with... Uh, an organization called Infinity Athlete. And if this is going to be a 30 to 40 million pound deal, then, then that is the market rate. I, I have no issue with that. Yeah, that will be assessed by the Premier League Fair Value Committee. But this is an organization which itself, when you start to do a bit of background checking, it's, it's only just been set up. It's it's revenues are somewhere in the million of, I think it's somebody said, to be $12 million. And you go, well, how can a business which is only bringing in $12 million afford to pay out £40 million, which is $50 million in the form of a sponsorship deal? Um, so it, it all just seems a bit messy. And I, th- I think you know this isn't a football show. If you're messy off the pitch, and that's messy with a Y, not an I, then you become messy on the pitch. And that's that's what we're seeing, and and you can, you know, Chelsea have had a a moderate start to the season, and they look like a collection. It, it's it's a bit like a, a band going into a rehearsal for a first album, uh, and everybody's playing slightly different melodies, and uh, yeah, it it might come together. You know, it might become unknown pleasures for all we know, but at your first rehearsal, and again, you would have thought that the club would have been further down the line with things on the pitch as well. I, I quite like the idea of Maurizio Pochettino trying to manage Peter Hook, recording the first album. <laughs> only one of them would come out of it. It's, I think, Kieran, it's not only Chelsea fans who would be wondering why, yeah, wherever they are in their in their current development as a team, wherever they are in terms of European football, they are a global football brand. And I think there will be people that are surprised that their their door isn't being beaten down by by. Big, big brand names. It seems it seems odd that one, Kieran. I, mean, I think you could say the same about Forest as, as well, but Chelsea in particular. I mean, it, it's kind of like you know Milan or Barcelona not getting a sponsor. You'd think there'd be plenty for them to choose from. I, I think there are plenty to choose from. So therefore, what could be the barrier? I think the barrier could be price. And yeah, we, we don't know what Chelsea are asking for. Um, are these potential sponsors saying, well, yeah, we'll, we'll pay you for £40 million if you're in the Champions League, but we're going to give you 25 because you're not playing in Europe at all and, and therefore you're being seen once a week as opposed to twice a week. Um, and Chelsea was saying, well, you know, we should be in Champions League. And, you know, then yeah, pr- price is always an issue. You know, that's the reason why players move or don't move, as, as, as we saw with you know, from your point of view with Michael Elise. Crystal Palace, Crystal Palace offered him a contract, which he thought this is a fair contract. I know the club. I like my, I like the coach. I like my, uh, yeah, I, I like my colleagues. I'll stay. Yeah, but money also had something to do with it. And 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 the yeah, this is the price of football here. The price of sponsorship would have been the key issue. And um, you know, Chelsea are. I think I think they're reluctant to to release away kits. Will put them up for sale because they they do want to be in a position where there's there's a there's a sponsor's name on, and sort of talking to people. Yeah, you know, we we've got our our friends in in the kit industry. They say, 
a separate issue is that you can't just announce a sponsorship and have the the level of demand that Chelsea would have to be able to to meet that level of demand um, overnight. It it does take time because the kits are manufactured overseas. So therefore you need to set up the design, you need to do quality control checks, and then you've got the distribution costs and, and the distribution journey to get them into uh, into retail. I have to say, Kieran, I was slightly bemused by the response uh, of Crystal Palace and Crystal Palace fans uh, to the announcement that Elise was staying at the club. 50 miles down the road, Brighton are making a £111 million profit on Moises Caicedo, and we're organising a ticker tape open-top bus parade because we've announced that a player is staying with us for another season and not going to be a substitute at Chelsea. It's just like incredible scenes of rejoicing. It's like the astronauts have returned safely from the moon. Get the get the, get the bus out down Thornton Heath High Street. Get the, It's just ridiculous. Um, West Ham do have a front-of-shirt sponsor, Kieran, in the form of Betway. Um and this is, I think this is one of the oddest stories that we've spoken about, certainly this year, because um, it seems that they themselves took a moral stand about somebody's gambling activity. Well, it, it, it wasn't a moral stand. This is a this is standard practice as far as the the betting industry is concerned. Um, Lucas Paqueta, who by all accounts was on Manchester City's. Uh, buy list and then I don't know whether Manchester City had done this research or this is actually this now appears to have come from Betway who you know, ironically are West Ham sponsors um, there's been suspicious activity reported to the uh, the football authorities now that suspicious activity is in relation to the player getting yellow cards now in in the the, the most up-to-date football markets, you can now bet on practically everything, including yeah, next goal, next assist, next yellow card. So if a player wanted to assist some friends, colleagues, whatever, who were going to bet on him getting a yellow card somewhere between the 65th and 70th minute, there is a way of achieving that, and it's a, it's a it's a far easier way of achieving that than scoring a goal or getting an assist. You you just say, oh, that, that's the, that's the that's the match day clock. Um, I'm going to make sure that I commit a a foul which is you know brutal enough to get me a yellow card. There is no there's no accusation with regards to the player betting on himself, so or, or, or betting on football. So we're in a different position to to Ivan Tony, but there's there's a feeling of unease if, if this is proven to be true. West Ham have said, you know, that we, we we're going to continue to pay the player and also play the player, um, and of course he, he did play on Sunday and and scored, ironically, celebrating whilst wearing a Betway shirt. But the the gambling companies have got huge access to data. And their algorithms saw a spike in adverts for him to have a, a yellow card. I think in a few matches, there has been a report, I think, on the mail uh, saying, including a match at the start of this season, including effectively the first match of the season. Um, so that 
that is something which does make you feel slightly uncomfortable because for all of the wrongs in football, we still hold on to that genuine belief that every time a match starts for the next 90 minutes, yes, the players may cheat. Yes, the players may fake injuries. Yes, the players may do things which aren't particularly great, but everybody is out there to win. And as soon as that that contract between us as fans and lovers of the game and the people on the pitch, as soon as that contract gets called into question, some of what is remaining in the romance of football, I think, starts to disappear as well. Um, so we we wait to see what is going to happen. I don't think there's been anything formal from uh, the authorities yet uh, or from West Ham, but clearly the, the story has broken as far as the media are concerned. Um, and if you talk to players, and you've got lots of connections with, with former players, um, you know, I, I've heard former players say when when Sky first started and um, sometimes what players would do is they'd say to a mate, uh, first throw in, if, uh, if, if, uh, if we're kicking off, right, put your money on the first throw in for the opposition because what I'm going to do, I'm going to knock it back to, to Dave behind me and uh, a few of us, we, we've got a cheeky, and, it, and it'll be nothing more than, you know, we've got a cheeky fiver on the opposition. So he's going to lump it out of the ground. And yeah, that that was then. This is now. Football has become not just a million pound industry, not just a multi million pound industry. It's a multi billion pound industry. The betting industry has been the single be- biggest beneficiary of the success of the Premier League because of the amount of money that, that now goes through football gambling. Look, yeah, you know, I, I gamble on football. You gamble on football. We're, we're not taking any pious views here, but. This this doesn't look great potentially if if these accusations are are proven. Yeah, I I don't gamble on football, Kieran. Um, I certainly wouldn't uh, put a bet on the team Palace were playing against to beat us, as I know some people might do about their own team. I do I do have a occasional gamble. I might put something in uh, on uh, a tenner on something in the two thirty at Sandown, preferably a horse. I've I've, I've I've learned that much. I mean, traditionally in the old days, Kieran, I think it was Wimbledon. I think a couple of their players admitted, didn't they, that if they got if, if they kicked off, they would be putting the ball out of play uh, for a throw in because of spread betting and so on. And the thing with this Paqueta situation is that at the moment, it's much much easier to get a yellow card than it would have been last season. You don't even have to do the foul anymore. You simply have to kick the ball away or yeah. or not release it. So. It's interesting, though, that it was a better way that that, that drew it to the club's attention. As I'm, I'm sure they might try and cover it up as something. Well, we're we're concerned for him. We don't want him to get into trouble. So uh, here we are, rather than them going. Actually, we're losing money here. So, uh, but that would be a cynical response, Kieran, as you say, and we're not cynical. Now, in your um, beloved Liverpool, Kieran, you will have been watching the the building work going on at, at Anfield. Um, it's been highly publicised over the weekend, their first home game. But there's a uh, some grit in the oyster, Kieran, with, when it comes to the redevelopment of Anfield. Yes, um, the the major contractor, which is the Buckingham Group, which is also involved, I think, with Northampton. I think it might have been involved with Fulham as well. Um, it, it's filed notice of an intention to go into administration. Okay, and. 
on the back of that, it looks as if work at Anfield has has paused. Now, Liverpool had their, their first home ground at Anfield on Saturday um, against Bournemouth. The, the intention was, I think, in an ideal world, they would have had uh, they would have had a test match already uh, to, to check that you know, the ticketing system works, the, the communication systems work, the, the toilets work, you know, and, and everything else that you would do, you know, perhaps in a, in a pre-season friendly. That that wasn't achieved, but they were looking for a sort of a gradual ramp up to be able to host matches uh, in a in a capacity of sixty one thousand. Um, there were less than fifty thousand who attended the the match against Bournemouth, which which Liverpool won. Um, how long this is going to take to resolve is unknown. Uh, as far as Liverpool's owners are concerned, they I would say that they are fiscally very very cautious organisation in in the way that they conduct themselves, and also they they would have put first and foremost health and safety issues in terms of you know, fans accessing the, the stadium, making sure that everything was appropriate. And they've not been able to do that clearly due to the lack of progress in terms of the development of the game. So what is the cost to the club? Well, on, on the sums that I did, Liverpool normally make around about £1,600 per fan. Now, if, if they are unable to to increase the capacity from the, the 50,000 who attended the match at the weekend because it, it's not just the, the extension, it's the fact that there's sort of you know, link-ups between the extended stand and, and where people were able to, to sit last season. We're probably looking somewhere in the region of 18 to £20 million pounds as, as a loss of match day revenue. Ideal world, even if the Bucking Group go into administration... They can then come out of administration. They can complete the work, and, and we could be having a a full end field in in a month or two. Um, there are financial consequences for the club. Again, you know, my viewpoint of FSG is that they, being the cautious people that they are, they won't have counted their chickens too early with respect to this additional income. But they want to be competitive. They know that Manchester United and Spurs both generate far in excess of £100 million a year from from, uh, from ticket sales. Arsenal will do that this year because they're back in the Champions League. And with the increased complexity of the, the new UEFA financial and sustainability rules, it's essential that Liverpool are competitive with that. So that's why they're moving along with this. So it's it's not a disaster. It's... Uh, uh, it's, it, it's it's business, you know, and, and business setbacks take place, but it will be a frustration for the club. Uh, two things, Ekun. Did you say they they uh, plan on making sixteen hundred pound per fan on match day? No, no, sorry, no. Ba- based on my sums, right. uh, Looking at the past few seasons, on average, they make sixteen hundred pounds per fan. Per season, per season, right? And you might be saying, you might right. say, well, hold on, yeah, that, that's far more than season tickets, yeah. and and they're absolutely right. But by the time you take into account, um, you know, in order to get a match day ticket, and, and Liverpool's pricing strategy is, is an in, is an intriguing one. I mean, presently, the capacity of Anfield's fifty four thousand. They've only got twenty seven thousand season tickets because they encourage people to become members. So you've got to go and pay quite a significant membership fee, which gives you the opportunity to go into a ballot 
for individual match tickets. So they're making money from the membership fee and the tickets. And then there is the fact that hospitality costs are very, very high because it's Liverpool and they're a club in huge demand. So you know, when I talk about that average of 600 people say to me, oh, well, yeah, my season ticket's only 700, 800, whatever it's going to be. It's because the prawn sandwich munchers are paying thousands. But yeah, on average, it works out at 1,600. And is it um, standard financial practice to give notice of administration rather than just go in announcing that you've gone into administration? It, it is something which is becoming increasingly common. Um, it's, it, it's, it's for a large organisation, what senior management do not want to be accused of is wrongful or fraudulent trading. So if you know that there's a genuine struggle with the ability to fulfil contracts, especially in an industry as precarious as construction, then what you're effectively saying to suppliers is, we're not going to be ordering anything from you for the next few days. The reason for that is that we probably expect to go into administration. Now, it could be that there's some form of rescue plan uh, which which manages them to alleviate that. It could be that they're sort of doing a, a call. Look, we're in a mess. Anybody that wants to buy the club, or sorry, to buy the, buy the company, come and see us now. And if we can sort out something without having to go in through a formal administration process and all of the costs of having an insolvency professionals, then then that's one way of, of addressing it. Yeah, we've still got quite a few news stories to cover, Kieran, and, and we've we've been chatting for quite a while. So perhaps, um, and again, I'm uh, contradicting myself here by taking quite some time to say perhaps we could speed it up a little bit. Um <laughs> Talking of ticket prices, I mean, things are looking a bit more exciting on the pitch for Spurs fans, but they're, they're very unhappy about how much they're having to pay to see it. Yes, Spurs certainly have some of the highest season ticket prices in the country. Those have been frozen for 23-24. But what's happened instead is that there have been some pretty significant price rises for matchday tickets. And yeah, this, this is, as I was saying, a... They tend to be higher priced because you're buying for for one match as opposed to 19. Um, as far as the category A matches are concerned, you know, that will be, and there's quite a few, you know, Chelsea, uh, Arsenal, the, the Manchester clubs, Liverpool and so on. Um, the prices have increased by between 10 and £17 each. You could have to pay up to £103 for a match day ticket. Category B and C, between 3 and £15. And I think the Spurs supporters trust, and I have reached out to them. Uh, we, 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 you know, we, yeah, we always try to give people the opportunity to communicate. We have reached out to them, say, look, come and, come and explain. There, there was a protest at the match on Saturday, uh, pre-match uh, against Manchester United, because the fans are saying, well, you know, we think this is a part of a, a broader issue. Uh, you know, next year, you'll say, well, we put up the price of match day tickets last year, season ticket holders, and not your. And let's face it, Spurs fans are all playing pretty eye-watering prices for their season tickets. Um, so they uh, they're concerned that this is sort of a uh, a patsy, and, and next year they're going to be on the receiving end. They did put a protest. They said, based on our sums, it will bring in an, an extra two and a half million pounds for a, a football club that's generating more than four hundred million. So it's less than one percent of revenues. Why are you doing this? I think this is part of a, a broader issue in terms of dissent and unhappiness amongst the fan base. You know, they they were they were promised, but you know, part again of that unwritten deal 
you're going to have to go to Wembley for a couple of years, move away from your beloved White Hart Lane and move to this new stadium. But on the back of that, we're going to start winning things. And that hasn't materialised. And clearly last season wasn't great on the pitch. They've lost Harry Kane, who a big emotional investment there. So, but as you rightly say, the football under the new coach, if, if if they win their first six matches of the season, football being the nature that it is, then people will focus on, on a different issue. Well, that's the problem, isn't it? I mean, we're entirely on the side of the Spurs fans in this issue, but Daniel Levy, as you know, the Glazers, as uh, Fenway Group at Liverpool, can rest securely in the knowledge that protests don't really bother them because there's tens of thousands of people who will happily take up the tickets to those fans who decide they can no longer afford to go, can't they? They're, they're, regardless, again, of Spurs' success, they're a big, big London club. People travel all over the world to, to watch the Premier League. That, that stadium's never going to be empty because of any protest, is it? That's, that's the problem for the protesters. Yes, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, and you see that more and more. Yeah. Uh, Leeds United are out of pocket this week, Kieran. Yes, <clears throat> they've been given a £150,000 fine by the Football Association um, with regards to homophobic chanting against Brighton in in the match uh, last season, 2-2 draw. Um, right, I've, obviously, I've got skin in this. I'm a Brighton fan. I've been watching this for 50 years. I've been putting up with 50 years of homophobic comments, some of which are pretty unpleasant. Um, so the the FA and the Premier League, I think they are trying to take a, a harder line on this. What we've historically done as Brighton fans, I think to a certain degree, is it depends upon the nature of the comment. So... If somebody chants, we can see you holding hands, our response is, you're too ugly to be gay. And then <laughs> the opposition actually normally, they'll normally go, yeah, okay, fair enough, and they'll be a bit clapped, and, and, and that shuts them up. But if I was, you know, my sexuality is an irrelevance here, um, if I was 16 or 17 and gay would would I feel uncomfortable? Because what, what are they effectively doing by making such a chance? They're trying to imply that your sexuality makes you a, a lesser person, and, and I think that's what that's what the FA is doing. Um, at this, yeah, at, at the same time, we some of the things that Brighton chant, yeah, Brighton fans chant to Paul me, you know, poverty celebration when 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 they go. I, th- I think a you don't understand the town or city in which you're uh, you're talking about. Um, yes. So, you know, it's it's not taking a moral high ground. And I wouldn't want to see football anaesthetized either. But there is a line which is appropriate and inappropriate. And where that line is, I think, has shifted. Um, it's, it's far worse, I think, when individuals come up to you after a match and say some pretty robust things with regards to your sexuality. Um, so, you know, what should be the appropriate action? Yeah, Leeds United have got you know, a proud and fantastic LGBT group. You know, ha- I don't know what their view is of this. 
Um, but if it's now going to be hitting the club in the pocket, then ultimately it's hitting the fans in the pocket indirectly as well. So, so that's where we are. Uh, Kieran, in, in a kinder, gentler future world, um, we will have some good news for Reading fans. But unfortunately, um, that world isn't here yet. So we haven't. We've got the opposite. Yes, so they have had a third points deduction with regards to it tends to be not following business plan in this particular case. It's it's only it's only a one point deduction, so it, it's symbolic as much as anything else. But there is a further suspended deduction of three points uh, with regards to the failure to pay wages on time, and this is something which which we were seeing too often as far as football was concerned uh, over the course of the last year or two. Um, I think. What was interesting is that the owner has been fined as well. So the EFL are firmly, many fans, and I think we, we are, we're sympathetic, say that you know, why should we as fans who, you know, we give our body and soul to the club, we give them support, we travel up and down the country, we try to make a contribution you know, vocally uh, and with affection and love towards the club uh, and the players to try to inspire them and then somebody somebody who owns the club hasn't paid the wages and you get a points deduction which increases your chance of relegation, reduces your, your chance of promotion and so on. You know, we, we suffer. So I think what was interesting is that the EFL have given a, a fine to the club owner. Uh, yeah, we, we've had somebody on Reading on about the, the owner um, in, in, in the last month or two. We just hope that there isn't a repeat of the event because that is likely to trigger a further three points yeah. deduction. And, you know, Reading have already had far too many of these. And a similar story at Morecambe, Kieran. Yes, this is a suspended points deduction, again, with regards to, to wages. Um, what's happening at Morecambe, the, uh, the, the energy drinks potential owner has gone very quiet. Um, it's, it's, it's messy. Um, and and not in not in a good way. So yeah, again, we just hope that the club has the opportunity to, to do what it's set up to. And it's as we've said, you know, football players in general are paid a high remuneration. Not at Morecambe. I think you know, in 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 my analysis, I would say that Morecambe have probably one of the the lowest budgets, lowest two or three budgets in in all of the four divisions. Um, but there are. There are stalwarts. There are people that have worked the club for many, many years. Through me, it's going to be. Uh, it, it hits them, and I think those people need protecting. Always a pleasure, Kieran, to take a trip uh, to the West Country. Beautiful part of the world. Lovely people, so on, etc. Um, so we got two stories from down there. The first one is from Bristol Rovers. Yes, uh, Bristol Rovers have new owners, and they've got they've got Kuwaiti changeover. And um, as as part of that, they they issued one share for six point two million pounds. One share, um, just one, one share. share. They've got wow. lots of yeah. But, but further analysis, and again, we've had a little bit of communication with the club just to clarify this. What that's done, and, and again, you know, it, it would have been good news regardless. Whilst it's not fresh money, what's happened is as part of the the deal to take over the club. The club had existing debts and and the owner has said right i'm going to i'm going to write off six million pounds worth of my loans and in return i'm going to get one one penny share so you know going forwards 
if Bristol Rovers want to do things in terms of more money spent on infrastructure, more money spent on developing the club, their level of debt, their start point is that much lower because of this write-off. So, yeah, good news for them. Um, I think they can be, uh, you know, fans are happy. You know, it's it's interesting times. We we always we always want new owners to come in and you know and lead clubs to a a more exciting time. History has told us that that can often be the case, but it's not guaranteed. And let's jump on the train at Bristol Parkway, uh, Kieran, and keep our fingers crossed it's not a cross country train because they are carnage for some reason. I don't know why. For some reason, you get on a cross-country train, it's always litter everywhere. And and if there are no cross-country trains from Bristol Parkway to Swindon, I'm sure people will tell us quite quickly, but we're going to Swindon, Kieran. Um, And a public statement from the owner, which uh, you have to admire the fact that he made this statement public, but it hasn't gone down too well with some of the fans. Yes. um, I think we've got to take a little bit of responsibility for this. We've sort of created a fan club, Mm. For company's house. Um, <laughs> we don't bring me into this, Kieran Maguire. <laughs> I'm, I'm taking, I will take responsibility for not knowing whether there's a cross country train from Bristol Parkway to Swindon. I will not take responsibility for you turning perfectly ordinary human beings into people who take sleeping bags and wait for the company's house to open up in the morning, like they're in a Wimbledon ticket queue. <laughs> <laughs> um, Brist- uh, sorry, Swindon Town went through some. Tough times. Very tough, yes. Uh, yeah, and they'd also reached that, that unfortunate point on the Price of Football podcast of being regular, uh, regular as far as our stories are concerned. And then the new owner, Clem Morfini, came in. He's, he's based in Australia. Um, and, and he bought the club. And everybody thought, that's great. And Rob Angus, who used to be part of the Supporters Trust, who again he'd come on, he'd come on the podcast and we had a long chat with him about the, the challenges that they're having with the former owner. He became the chief executive. So yeah, keep in touch with with Rob. Uh, he's he's a very engaging, very very uh, you know, committed uh, a at his job and b he's also a Swindon Town fan. Um, but what started to come out was that there appeared to be some people who were owning shares who people weren't aware of and you know a, a you have a relationship with a football club and if you had a previous relationship which was not based on trust you know which which was sour in, in one way or another um what you don't want is is anything which might indicate that that would be repeated so some of the fans did an investigation again the supporters trust they said What's going on here? What are these people? So Clemon uh, and, and I think he's in a slightly unfortunate position here because he's he's on the back foot. You know, he, he's having to respond. I think it, there's a great, you know, there's a good case for being proactive. He, what he said is that as far as the level of due diligence that he undertook when he bought the club, he hadn't managed to do as much as he wants, and, and he had to take some things on face value. It's exactly the same if you buy a house and you don't have a survey done. Yeah, you know, it's effectively, you know, as 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 we say at Brighton to Chelsea, Kaiseido sold a scene, yeah. Yeah, and <laughs> you, you, you you take what you get. Yeah. Um, and he said the level of financial mess was much bigger yeah. than he envisaged. He didn't have the immediate resources to deal. There was, I think there was an outstanding loan yeah. which needed to be paid back very quickly and therefore he's had to go to other parties. That wasn't communicated. 
necessarily. And now the fans are saying, well, who are these other people? They're starting to do some of their own research. Sometimes the things that they reveal aren't necessarily great. So, you know, the owner, first of all, you know, the positives is that he has addressed the issue. He said, right, this is what I've done. This is why I've done it. Um, I think going forwards, I think ideally, you know, if he can become the, the sole owner and there's no other complications, then, then then there's not an issue. But whilst there's that little bit of uncertainty, you, you can understand the reservations undertaken by the fans. Yeah, I, I've, I thought it was very interesting that those people who are listening who haven't read the press release, the statement, which I'm sure is a lot of you, where essentially he said if he had two days to buy the club and if he didn't buy it, the club was going to disappear. So he he thought he was doing the right thing, which of course he was from Swindon Town's perspective. But as you say, um, he he didn't have time to discover that there were outstanding debts and outstanding issues with shares, etc. So I th- I thought the tone of his press release was this statement was absolutely right, and I thought the tone of the response from the supporters' trust was was very good. It was very um, polite and very fair. But essentially, they they're asking, what else are you not telling us? Basically, because. Yeah, Clem Morfuni, who seems like a decent chap and who seems like a decent owner, has tried to be open and and honest. But it, it, anything that puts a seed of doubt into fans' minds, especially as you say, after the the trouble, the the three years they had of terrible trouble with previous owners, um, I I think Swindon fans are probably safe in the knowledge that they they have an owner who is does have the best interests of their club at heart, um, and we can't all say that. Southend United fans. Certainly can't say that, Kieran. And that glorious day we spoke of in the future, um, the sunlit uplands for Reading fans, I'm afraid that's not your day either for Southend, is it, Kieran? No, no. The, uh, the We've not been on Price of Football for two months. Uh, gold star that fans like to orbit themselves isn't coming to, to Roots Hall at present. Um, and, and this is to do with the academy. It looks as if, effectively, Ron Martin has... Uh, shut down the academy without formally telling people. So, you know, kids are expecting to to get phone calls and so on. Nothing's happening. It, it's it's further reflection of resources, opportunities, decision making. You, if you've got one person constantly making decisions at an organisation which are not in the interests of the organisation, then you, you've got problems. Yeah. Um- not a brilliant week, Kieran, for the Lionesses, England's women's team. Um, deservedly beaten in the final by a very, very good Spain team. But if you were a, a woman footballer in the Exeter area, um, then it's been a, a quite a decent week, Kieran. There's a very positive statement coming out from Exeter City. Yeah, Exeter City, fan-owned club. Um it's you know, effectively controlled by the supporters trust. And you know, we've always said that has some big positives. It does have a few drawbacks in terms of if the club is losing money, then uh, you know, who's going to make up that shortfall? Uh, Exeter have been profitable for the past few years, mainly on the back of player sales. So it's, it's, not, it's not a guaranteed continual. But um, the good news from the perspective of the development of the women's team is that they've they've increased the, the level of funding, I think, from twenty five to thirty five thousand pounds. Some people say, well, it's not a huge amount of money, but it, it's still an increase. Um, and you know, if you talk to anybody that's involved with the women's side of the game, what is great is 
is is the level of of interest in the game at so many different points. The fact that you've got girls who are now saying, "I, I want, I want to play." Where's my local team? You, you hear the stories from some clubs. Last year, we had four girls who were, were doing sort of just you know individual training with. Now we're running twenty teams, so it's it's all pointing in in the right direction. Um, you've got to take care with. Uh, you know, safeguarding issues. You've got to take care with with regards to sometimes the promises of money from from outside sources don't materialise. But uh, this this is this is good news, um, and and you wish them all the best. And uh, for those those people that don't like women's football, don't watch yeah, it. Don't watch it. So yeah, stop. Going. I, I I say the same about women's football, Kieran, as I say about men's football. Forget the national team. Forget the the Premier League and the WSL. Forget Exeter City. Even with all due respect, the, the, it's grassroots level that's really important. Mm. It's at the very bottom. It's it's allowing girls, boys, men, women, and anyone who identifies as differently to get out, to get fresh air, to meet people, to get fit, to get exercise. It, that's where it is, and that's where the money needs to be to be pointed. It's, it's 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 vitally important that we don't miss the opportunity to encourage football at its very lowest level, where I think it's most important. So a couple of stories to go, Kieran, but I think we can rattle through those in a in a minute or so. Yeah. Um, the first one made me laugh because basically what producer guy has written is Bundesliga chiefs say they remain open to private equity investment. Um, which is a fairly straightforward sentence, but in in my mind, I can see the Bundesliga chiefs undoing a couple of uh, buttons on their shirt, loosening the tie, maybe putting on a little bit of mascara, and basically saying, "Come and get me. We're here. We're here for you. We we remain open to the idea of private equity. You want to invest in a piece of this, don't you?" I'm sure that's not exactly how it happened, Kieran, but it it it's a strange one, isn't it, for the. The Bundesliga say, "Yeah, we, if anybody's out there, we're we're not against the idea of a bit of a bit of funding from private equity." Yes, the the elephant in the room in most of European football is the Premier League. Yeah, the, the Premier League has got an awful lot of decisions right in terms of marketing itself, in terms of getting out there, building relationships with overseas markets, uh, broadcasters, and so on. And now the rest of Europe is having to play catch up. Um, people say, well, hold on, Harry Kane's just gone to Bayern Munich for 100 million euro. That's the exception rather than the rule in terms of the direction of travel. Um, there was a suggestion of, of having some private equity investment a few months ago. The clubs effectively said, thanks, but no thanks. But uh, yeah, the hard truth is, is that if German clubs want to compete for European prizes, and there haven't been too many recently. You know, with, then uh, they and yeah, you know, I love German football. You love German football. We love German football culture. Um, we would love to do the Price of Football live in Berlin. Yeah, you know, for me that would be the ultimate. So, so um, now we're doing the come and get me now. Okay, we're loosening the top buttons on our on our shirt collar, saying <laughs> if you're I'm listening, saying. Germany, we'll we'll go we'll go if you if you want us and if you want us. <laughs> It's my favourite city. Oh, Berlin's favorite a city, brilliant Berlin. city. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anybody who gets a chance to go to Berlin and to go to Union Berlin as well, it's what a fantastic experience that is. Um, so how, how, does, how does the Bundesliga move forward? Well, you, you can grow organically, but in, in which case you're going to be playing chase up, so catch up with the Premier League from even further, uh, further behind. So, yeah, 
going to private equity, I'm I'm not a huge fan myself in in general because private equity is looking it's got no interest in football. It does have an interest in money. So what are what's the price that you have to pay? And, and therefore, uh, there there is the potential for more money to come into the game. That money will also go out at a future point. Now, if in the meantime German football grows spectacularly, then everybody's a winner. If it doesn't, private equity still gets its money back. Yeah, remind me, Kieran, why they turned it down. The clubs were against the idea initially, weren't they, when the Bundesliga first talked about private equity? I, I, I think some owners weren't comfortable. Um, and certainly, you know, we spoke at the start of the show that Manchester United had consulted the stakeholders that they thought were important, which is you know, the sponsors. Yeah. And so on. There are an awful lot of people who they didn't consult, um, and therefore they 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 weren't aware of the extent of feeling. Um, German fan culture is is far more organised yeah. than, than what we have over here, and I think there's certainly a pushback from German fans. You mentioned the rest of Europe, Kieran. Um, and for our penultimate story, the rest of Europe uh, are wondering a how it is that Barcelona is still able to sign players in the first place but also be why they signed Marcus Alonso, it seemed, but they still haven't registered him. Yeah, and it's not just him that they are able to sign, but uh, the, the nature of La Liga's cost control rules is that, I think, I think you know, we spoke about it recently, what you can, you can only register a player when you do a particular sum. You say, this is the amount of money that we've got coming in over the course of the season. This is our non-wage financial commitments. These are our loan repayments. Whatever's left is what you can pay on wages. Barcelona have been doing some of their their magic levers, their their magic beans tricks. Um, La Liga are saying, "Well, hold on, we don't think you should count all of that money as income." And and I've got sympathies there with La Liga. Um, I think Barcelona are currently playing matches not in the stadium because they're, they're expanding the their their home. Uh, and I think there were 10,000 empty seats at the alternative at the weekend. So that's going to not help things. For, um, the, from, from Again, from a management point of view, the club's a mess because you've got populist presidents promising the earth and not dealing with sort of the good but dull things which you need to do in business. Mm. Uh, finally, Kieran, as we said, a, a disappointing outcome in the end, uh, uh, the Women's World Cup for England. But in general, the interest in women's football in this country was hugely stimulated by a brilliant World Cup. And that's been uh, illustrated in the sales of shirts and merchandise. Yes. Yeah, the the sales have been uh, very high. The kits have gone down well. The fact that you've got a effectively a bespoke kit for, for the women's team, I think uh, the, the fans appreciate that. But England's kits are made by the US company Nike. Uh, England's player of the tournament, you know, Mary Earp could could arguably said to be that she 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 saved a penalty in a World Cup final. How many people in either the men's or the women's game have got that on that CV? Well, and then and then um, responded in the most magnificent way possible, which we can't possibly repeat on here by shouting obscenities yes. straight down the camera, which was uh, a marvellous response. I mean, she's what a fantastic keeper. She, I mean, she's brilliant. Some of the saves she yes. made in the first half were just magnificent. And uh, before the tournament, she had pointed out that 
you know, we, we spoke about the growth of, of, uh, of girls' football at grassroots and women's football at grassroots. If you are seven or eight, if you've been inspired by Mary Earp, you, know, you might say, I want to be a goalkeeper and I want an England shirt. And you can't buy one because Nike, who have done their sums, and you know, again, this is this is corporate. From a corporate point of view, you absolutely... They say, well, these are the number of shirts we'd expect to make. We ain't going to make any money on that, so therefore we ain't going to do it. So they've got no emotional ties. And this is where big business comes an absolute cropper in terms of the way that it conducts themselves. There have been young girls who have been inspired by Mary Earp who want to look like Mary Earp, who want to be able to go to a match wearing her England shirt. And ideally, Mary Earp will sign it for them and it will be one of the greatest days of those kids' life for many, many years. Um, They can't do that. Now, our very good friend Tracy Crouch has raised an early day motion with regards to this, because there's been a petition which has got 85,000 signatures. And, and Tracy has has also um, contributed to say she thinks it's yeah, this is England. This is, yeah, this, is, this is our national team. And young fans of our national team are unable to buy a shirt. That does not reflect well. It, it doesn't. Yeah, and, and I'm sure the FA, with all intents and purposes, it's one of those things that you wouldn't think about. But, but, you know, because four years ago, we have to be honest, that the level of interest was much lower. There's been a huge acceleration of interest. Um, th- there is a solution for this for Nike. It's to do the right thing. Absolutely. Just do it's it. Absolutely. Just do it. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's, your, that's your slogan. Yeah. slogan. That's your, well, well, just do it. Make it available. And again, you can turn a public relations negative into a positive by going out and say, well, actually, we're going to yeah, we're going to make a, a five thousand shirts available for schools for the, you know the, the England shirt available for, for school goalkeepers, girl, girl goalkeepers, and we're going to do that as a as, as a corporate donation. I, I can't tell you how angry Ali was and is about that story because uh, she loves Marriott, but as Ali points out, it, if ten year old Ali would love nothing better than throwing herself around for any particular reason and beating boys in races so she would have been a goalkeeper and she, the fact that she wouldn't have been able to wear a goalkeeper shirt just made her furious anyway that let's let's not end this pod by with Ali being furious because it very rarely happens except uh, twice during the cricket the other night when somebody dropped catches um she was so upset that we didn't get near to catching a six she was all ready to get on telly and catch a six um, thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod, that would be very kind of you. You can do so by going to patreon.com slash priceoffootball, just like some of these people have done. They've donated to the pod. They include uh, Ola Svanberg, Stephen Aspinall, Paul Castle, Ben Howen, Mike Ray, Liam Carroll, Gary Laybourne, John Sparks, John O'Connor, David and Gary, and Laurent Canivet, who says... And I quote, 2024 FA Cup final, last penalty kick saved, Seagulls win, and Bart the Bruggen has officially become Kieran Maguire's favourite Brighton player of all time. It's written in the spreadsheet. And the fact that I read that out just goes to show what you get if you contribute a small amount of money to our Patreon. But I'm assuming that Laurent is one of our ultras, that he's paid the top £5, because I wouldn't have read it out for less than £5, Laurent. Um, uh, is he your goalkeeper? Who is Bart for Brogg? Isn't this just some random Belgian chap? Uh, he's our 
He's our backup goalkeeper. Oh, I see. Uh, uh, we, we sold our fourth choice goalkeeper to Chelsea for £25 million. <laughs> <laughs> and we brought in Bart for less. Uh, if, so if you'd like to join those people, as I say, that would be very kind of you. And you can do so by going to patreon.com slash price of football. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at price of And if you'd like to pre-order our new book, Unfit and Improper Persons, an idiot's guide to owning a football club or one of our other books or indeed the price of football t-shirt and some brand new merch which is on the way then you can go to our new look website at priceoffootball.com we'll be back on monday with our questions pod and in the meantime i shall hand you over to mr kieran Maguire for his customary farewell uh, well thank you to everybody who, who supports us on patreon it's it's very kind we're, we're genuinely touched by by your level of support um we will be having our discord debut uh, next week, uh, Kevin and I, uh, we've not practiced it yet. We are slightly concerned, not as concerned as producer Guy, who is, who is insisting that we, uh, we do, but, uh, I think we'll be available for, uh, I think it's, I think it's the 31st, 30th, or the 31st, 31st of, yeah, uh, 7 o'clock. 31st of August, seven o'clock. So, so we will be sending out joining instructions, uh, yeah, you know, as, as Guy says, it's, it's it's like getting management consultancy for nothing from two idiots. What what more could you possibly? What could possibly go if wrong? You are, if you are coming onto that discussion, don't ask me for any management advice. It's love of God, I'll tell you what my favourite palace kit is. But I'm not going to give you management advice. Um, there's another way you can support the show, and that's to uh, that's to give us a review on on your uh, on your app. And by all accounts, it doesn't matter what you say. It's, it's sort of the number of reviews helps us into as far as uh, the algorithms of Spotify and Apple and so on. Um, you could either say, you could even say, you would rather have the show presented by Mick Harford, who, good luck in your in your battle, Mick's, uh, Mick's been very uh, open about his prostate cancer, which is a huge issue for men. Um, there, I'm, you know, we, we we both got too many friends at too many stages of that that condition. Um, and Nish Kumar, um, I, th- I think I think that'd be a fascinating show with, a, with potentially potentially a meeting of different viewpoints. Can I be the one to explain to Nish who Mick Harford was or is? And what, yes. imagine Mick Harford marking Nish Kumar. <laughs> Much as I love, I actually I love Nish. I'd, I'm, I'm going to imagine that now. <laughs> I'm just going to imagine right. the corner coming over uh, and <laughs> Nish Kumar and Mick Harford going up for the same header. Okay, all right. I'm off to um, shove that drill up somebody's ass. Uh, um, we'll be back soon. Bye, everybody. Bye. The price of football. Ice on football.